Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us on a screen or right here in the sanctuary, so glad you decided to spend a little bit of your first Sunday in January with us. So I ran to the grocery store early this week during my lunch hour to pick up a couple of things. As I'm waiting in this checkout line that is taking forever, I notice that the person in front of me finally has all the gro- their groceries scanned. Now, it was a bit much for the quicker checkout line at the gas station, you know, the gas station part of the grocery store. And even though it doesn't say five items or less, don't we all have this understanding that the gas station checkout line is five items or less? Anyway, um, I'm totally not worrying about it. I'm also forgetting all the times I've taken 20 items to that checkout at the same time. But anyway, whatever. We're finally done. He's going to pay and we're going to get on for the day. I'm supposed to, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have patience, right? So I'm trying to cultivate that. But people don't make this very easy, do they? Guess which method of payment this guy chooses to use after he checks out. A check, yes, a check. He didn't even start writing the check until all of his groceries are scanned. Like, are you kidding me? I'm trying to get out of there fast, get on with my day, and here he's writing a missive, a contract, before I can get on with my day. Why me, oh Lord, why me? Why must I lose minutes? I tell you, minutes from my day because this person chose to write a check. You know, we find so many difficult people in the world, don't we? And it seems like people are more difficult than they were even a couple years ago. I mean, we've been through a lot. You and I have all lived on the same planet for the last few years. You know, we find difficult people not just in the grocery store. We find difficult people in our workplaces, that one employee that just rubs you the wrong way that you got to see every day. At school, you keep getting put in the same class with a student who keeps driving you crazy, and you think, who did I curse? What did I do to keep getting placed in the same class as this difficult person? In our extended families, we have to put up with that in-law every holiday, And you keep wondering what on earth your family members saw in them because we all see the same difficult person you've got to deal with every Thanksgiving and every Christmas and every 4th of July. For you, Family Feud is not a game show. It's a documentary. (laughs) So, and of course, the most difficult person of them all, the one that drives us up the wall the most, it's the one we find in the mirror. When we look in the mirror and we can't believe how much that person procrastinates or how much that person avoids conflict or that person that says things without thinking so many times or that person that takes so much effort, a mountain of effort, just to apologize to someone else. The most difficult person for some of us, maybe actually all of us, is the person in the mirror. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks in this new year exploring how we deal with people that rub us the wrong way and drive us crazy. Now, the Christian way to deal with other people, even difficult people, is showing them grace and kindness when it is the last thing you want to do. Yes, that person you're thinking about right now, yes, even that person. We are expected Actually, we're commanded to show especially that person you're thinking about right now grace and kindness. And we're going to spend time exploring ourselves, how we deal with the man and the woman in the mirror when that person is being very difficult. Now, it should be no surprise, we are not the first ones to deal with difficult people on the planet. If you want to follow along this morning, you can open up your Bible to Romans chapter 12. 
It's in the second half, the second part of your Bible. And now you're welcome to follow along in your own Bible on your favorite device or the text will be on the screen with me. Now Romans was written by Paul. Paul was a first century church planter and a tent maker. He was a blue collar worker who perhaps second only to Jesus had the most profound impact on the growth and spread of Christianity, including up to today. Now the letter to the Romans... And yes, Romans is a letter, and it is not a book. Now, one very important thing to remember when you're reading a part of your Bible is the Bible is not one book. It is much more accurately called a library. Friends, you're holding a library or on your device. It is a library of books and poetry and history and narrative and sermons and ancient biography and personal letters. When you're reading, when you're looking to apply what you learned, what you learned in your Bible to your life, You've got to be aware of what you're reading. You've got to be aware of the literary genre because we typically, we typically don't get into arguments with other Christians about whether or not we think the Bible is authoritative or it should shape our life. No, we get into arguments about how we interpret this passage and that passage. So be aware of the type of literature that you're reading because that can kind of help you at times avoid some of those conflicts and arguments. Now, the letter to the Romans was written near the end of Paul's life. So, and as you read this parts of Romans, especially toward the end of the letter, you get this feeling Paul is trying to get everything from his mind out onto the page. He's running out of room, and he can sense that he's running out of room and out of time. There are sections at the end of Romans that it's these really quick, fast hits in a row, five, six, seven, eight sentences, and if you wonder, Paul saw the end coming, literally the paper is running out, and he had to get everything off his mind and his heart onto the page. Now, Romans is Paul's most carefully considered letter. It's some of his most mature reflections on the Christian faith. Nearing the end of his time on earth, he lays out some deep theological, some deep God thoughts, and some very practical, how do we live this out? What does this look like? The first part of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, it lays out the whole story. It lays out the creation of the world. We're separated by God from sin, from brokenness, from desiring to go our own way, to the saving, redeeming, restoring work in Jesus, even to the eventual restoration of the whole world. Paul says creation groans for the day to be made new, just like we want to be made new. So 1 through 11 is that, and then starting in Romans 12, right where we are, it's the practical stuff. It's the, so now what? So you just read 11 chapters, so what do we do about it? How do you live out faith in Jesus every day when this person drives me crazy, when I'm at home or work or school, and I got to keep seeing these difficult people all over the place? Chapter 12 starts with, therefore. That's the most loaded therefore ever. Because he means everything that comes in the last 11 chapters. Therefore, because of all of this, do this. Only pastors and theologians get away with this. Because of what I've written for for 12 chapters, for multiple hours, for what I've recorded on hours and hours of podcasts, now here's what it means. Paul wrote his letter to Christians in Rome. And to say it was not easy to be a Christian in Rome in the first century, that is a bit of an understatement. Christians were considered atheists because they did not believe in multiple gods like the Romans did. They believed in one God as seen in the flesh in Jesus. 
And that always makes me chuckle that at one point in history, Christians were known as atheists because we didn't believe in multiple gods. So at the very least, if you lived during this time, it'd be hard just to do business because even doing business, selling your wares would have required you to do some kind of acts, religious acts to multiple gods. So it would have been hard just to move in the world. We don't deal with that kind of stuff today. You can move through the world with business things. Now, at the worst, there were times Christians were persecuted. There were times Christians were persecuted, killed by Rome, sent to the lions to be killed to serve as entertainment for the broader population. So it is into this world, it is into this world where it costs so much to follow Jesus, where Christians are oppressed with no voice, giving sometimes everything that they are, Paul is giving practical advice for how we, to do, how we deal with difficult people. Now, knowing what difficult people Paul was talking about that literally lead to their death, it makes some of our difficult people a little easier to stomach, doesn't it? Makes me waiting for an open cash register compared to what Roman Christians were dealing with feel a little silly. Now, let's jump down to verse 9 of Romans 12. Don't just pretend to love others really love them. Say it with me. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Really love people. Sincerely love people. Are you serious, Paul? For the first century Christians who are oppressed and persecuted, you want them to love their oppressors. Yes, Paul does. Paul wants them and us to truly love others. You can jump down to verse 14 where Paul makes this explicit where he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray God will bless them. That is a high bar to reach. Not hate your persecutors, hate your pressures. Really love them. Pray for God to bless them. And yet, Paul didn't make this stuff up. This is not words from Paul. This is words from Jesus. Jesus, who told us to love God fully, love God everything that we are, love our neighbors as ourselves, but love our, love our neighbors too. Jesus even gives us an example. Jesus tells the story of a Roman soldier asking someone to carry their pack for them a mile. This was a common practice of the day, the, Rome, the occupying army. The soldier would be sick of carrying his heavy pack, and so he'd see a citizen of the empire, see a Jew, and he would ask that Jew to carry that pack for a mile asked like they had a choice, they would have to carry that pack for a mile that the soldier wanted them to do so. It was the law. And so what's Jesus' guidance in this situation? Ignore them, run away from the soldier, fight them. No, Jesus says, if they ask you to carry their pack for one mile, carry it two. Call it extravagant hospitality or extravagant compassion. It's a radical act of kindness, it's a radical act of generosity, of charity, even to an act of love to carry someone else's burden just for a little bit of their day. Jesus challenged people to love others so totally, so completely, everyone, including the occupying soldiers of the day, by serving them. And perhaps by serving without complaining and going the literal extra mile, and actually I wouldn't be surprised if that's where the phrase comes from, is Jesus' teaching here, they might have been changed and transformed by the experience. A soldier might have actually asked, why on earth are you carrying my pack two miles instead of one? 
and somebody got to cut into a conversation about why they do the way they do, why they live the way they do, why they actually sincerely try to love everybody, including their oppressors. Sincerely love others. Don't just pretend to love others. Sincerely love them, even and especially the difficult people in your life. Not with a fake smile, but a real one. Not with a fake act of kindness, but a real one. Friends, the people we meet, they are not problems to be solved, but people to be loved. Yes, even that person you're thinking of. The people we meet are not problems to be solved. They are people to be loved. Don't just pretend to love. Pretending is a false compassion. Pretending is a false love because we're trying to get something out of a relationship. Pretending is selfish. We see these difficult people as a means to an end, especially at work. Like, well, if I could pretend to love this difficult person, maybe that'll help me move up in the company. I'll get seen and I'll get recognition for it. I might get better status in school, a higher pecking order in the family. Paul wants us to live sincerely because that is God's plan for us. That's God's agenda for us. That it's the purest form of love when it is selfless. It is others focused and not selfish, not focused on us. Fake love, it uses people as props. It sees difficult people as, as stepping stones as something better than for us. Real love, friends, real love honors people as prizes that they are, created in God's image as everyone is. And we choose to love others, not because of what we get out of a relationship, but because that is simply who we are. We, simply, we sincerely love everyone, including and especially the difficult people in our lives. And don't ever forget, friends, I'm difficult. You're difficult. Jesus loves you anyway. Jesus loves me anyway. So let's love everyone, especially the difficult people around us. And to sincerely love, it's going to require us to do stuff. It's going to require action. It means actually taking steps to get close to difficult people in our lives. It means going from beyond tolerating them, just resisting rolling our eyes or rolling our eyes out of their sight, but to actually showing our love through actions, thoughts, and words. The first step to grow sincere love in our lives with the difficult people in our circles is prayer. Sincere love requires prayer. Prayer has the power to change us, incredible power to change us, to transform us to, by God's power to be less difficult ourselves and to see the difficult people in our lives differently. Prayer will transform us to let others, to help us see others as God sees them. As teachers know, the problem student in the classroom is that way so often because there is trouble, there is trauma at home. They are hurt, they are wounded, and they are difficult because sometimes something very painful is happening to them. It can absolutely be that case for the people we encounter in our work, in our extended families, at school, as we're out and about in the world. We have no idea. We have no idea what somebody is going through totally. Prayer opens us up in our capacity to be more gracious, to be more forgiving, to be more kind, than we ever thought possible. So often when we read passages like this, 
and very practical ones in the letter to the Romans, we think that all of Christianity is just behavior modification. Act this way, don't act this way. We applaud ourselves when we get it right and we beat ourselves up when we get it wrong. But following Jesus is not about changing our behaviors. Dallas Willard, the philosopher, puts it like this. He said, the aim of spiritual formation, the aim of following Jesus is not behavior modification, but the transformation of all those aspects of you and me from where behavior comes from. And then the behavior will take care of itself. It is the circumcision of the heart. Following Jesus is about being renewed, restored, rebuilt from the inside out. And then the behavior takes care of itself. Because we've been renewed, restored, rebuilt from the inside out, our behaviors change naturally. John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist movement, he used the same phrase, circumcision of the heart, to describe this deep transformation every single one of us needs over a lifetime as we seek to live more and more like Jesus, with more grace, more kindness, more boldness and confidence, more humility, more humor than we ever thought was possible. That deep transformation, that journey to love difficult people begins sincerely with prayer. It begins with us to be changed, to see difficult people with God's eyes, to increase our capacity for compassion. Friends, if the earliest Christians can sincerely love their oppressors, carrying the pack for the soldier not one mile but two, we can certainly love the check writer in the grocery store line, we can certainly sincerely love that difficult person at school. We can sincerely love the co-worker who drives us just that little bit crazy. We can sincerely love the family member we just tolerate during the holidays. We can do this. I know we can do this. God has given us prayer and the Holy Spirit to accomplish this task. Sincere love, it requires prayer. And sincere love acts. It does things. As you are transformed in prayer, it is very likely God's going to reveal you an opportunity to show love in action, to put kindness in an actual response, to make love real in a way you might not have seen coming. It could be you're moved, by, you're moved to buy a cup of coffee for that difficult coworker, inviting a difficult student at school to sit with you at lunch or next to you in a class and actually listening and responding to a conversation with that family member who you find a little difficult. Now, friends, be warned. If you pray for God to help you love the difficult people in your life, God will give you opportunities to do so. That's the natural re response of what God does in prayer. And because you spend time praying for the difficult people in your life, you're no longer going to be pretending that you love them. You're actually going to be loving them. And you feel that you're actually loving them because you've been changed. You've been transformed in prayer to be one of the crazy Christian people, like the very first ones who love their oppressors into the faith by carrying their pack not one mile, but by carrying it two, who have patience beyond the normal human capacity because the Holy Spirit walks with them. So friends, genuine, sincere love, that's the goal. That is our target. Paul rightly shows us that love is more about what people do than what we feel. 
In the early church, love was often connected, helping people with very tangible needs, very feeding people, giving them clothing, food, housing, you name it. While we are being transformed in prayer, we act lovingly to everybody, including the difficult people in our lives, and we don't wait until all of our feelings are right. Because if we waited until all of our feelings were set, we would never go about and do anything at all. This little section in one of Paul's last letters gives us a very no-nonsense version of Christian living. We are to be the people at the forefront, in the lead, showing the world what a genuine human life looks like. Today, put simply, friends, Christ loves you and me. You and I, we're difficult. So let us sincerely love others through prayer and acts showing them that Jesus loves them too. Let's pray together. Loving God, we give you thanks for loving us all the times we've been difficult and hard to be around in our less than perfect moments. Grow us in the grace and the kindness to show the difficult people in our lives the same grace you have shown us. Transform us in prayer. Give us courage to act lovingly towards the difficult people in our lives so that we start to see them just like you do fully loved, fully adored, and worthy just like you see us. It is in our resurrected Savior's name that we pray together. Amen.